are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Plant yourself down and pop in your ear, buds, for your favorite podcast, Rootbound. Kind of a big dill. for joining me on another episode of Rootbound. My name is Steve. And hey, trees are awesome, right? I mean, yeah, trees. I haven't talked too much about trees on this podcast, but today we're going to talk about a tree. And so I thought at the beginning of the show, I might go over some of the basic anatomy of a tree trunk, which is actually pretty complicated. And I had to refresh my memory and even learn a few new things today. And so maybe the same can happen for you. So the trunk of a tree is made up of five primary layers. The first one is one that we're all aware of. That is the bark. That's the stuff you see. It's on the outside, the outermost layer of the tree trunk. And the bark is essentially the armor for the tree. It's kind of like the skin. It it protects the tree. It keeps bad stuff from getting into the tree. That is the bark. It's also known as the outer bark because the next layer is the inner bark. And the inner bark is also known as the phloem, or phloem, I'm not quite sure on that pronunciation, but this is a thin layer, and this layer moves the products of photosynthesis from the leaves through the rest of the tree. And as phloem gets older, it becomes outer bark. So the inner bark, the phloem, when it it gets older, it becomes the bark. The next layer is really interesting. It's a very thin layer, and it's called the cambrium. And this layer is where tree growth comes from. And the cambrium is a a layer of undifferentiated cells that can either become phloem and then eventually bark if they move towards the outer layers of the tree, or they can become the next layer, which is the sapwood. And the sapwood is the layer of the tree that transports water from the ground up to the rest of the tree. So that's kind of interesting, like two different parts. The phloem moves the stuff that is made by the leaves from photosynthesis down through the tree. And the sapwood moves water and other nutrients from the earth up the tree. And as sapwood gets older, it hardens and dies back and it becomes the final layer of the tree, which is the heartwood. And this is actually the majority of a tree's mass. It is the wood, and it is primarily dead material in the middle of the tree trunk, and it provides the structural integrity of the tree. And I I liken it kind of like bone, right? Bone is not like a live material in your body, but it is the solid structural integrity, and that is the heartwood. So those are the five layers of a tree. Before we get started, I just want to give a little bit of a heads up that the last section of this podcast might be a little bit of a bummer. So if you're not ready to have a bummer today, feel free to like hold this episode for another time. It's super interesting content. I think we should all learn it, but it is a little bit of a bummer. So be prepared. But let's welcome on our guest to the show today. Although we commonly consider the animal kingdom as of greater importance, 
It is well to remember that plants are the ultimate source of food for all forms of animal life. Hey, Timo. Hey, Steve. Hi, hi. How's it going? It's going really well, thanks. Yeah, I had a good day. And uh, yeah, nice nice to be uh, talking to you. Yeah, same, same with you. Uh, do you have a plant to share with us today? I do have a plant to share. Uh, the plant I would like to share and talk about is uh, comfrey. Oh, that's very exciting because comfrey is a plant that I know the name of, but I literally know nothing about. And I, I've probably seen it, but I don't know what it looks like. And so I'm excited to learn about comfrey from you today. That's great. Yeah. Well, like you said, um, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure you've seen it. Because at one point, um, I, when I realized what which plant this was, I realized that I've actually seen it around quite a bunch, but I didn't know what it was before. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let me talk about a little bit why I actually came across choosing this plant. Yeah, please. Um, so, it was a personal, a personal, a little personal story. Um, I used to have two rabbits. And one of the rabbits uh, jumped off uh, the roof of the little house that they lived in oh. <laughs> and uh, broke one of its legs. Oh, no. So, yeah, it was a little bit sad. Uh, we had to go to the vet. And um, so the vet literally told us there wasn't very much we could do. We just had, would have to wait for it to um, heal and not let the rabbit move too much. So not let it, you know, kind of keep it in a, in a small place so it couldn't move too much. So at that point, I was like, oh, okay. Um, I've just kind of been interested in healing plants for quite a while. So I just Googled uh, the possibilities of, of healing plants, uh, in this case, like for bone fractures or, um, yeah, uh, for bone fractures. And uh, that's how I came across comfrey. Interesting. And so it has a history of, of being, I, I think I've heard that, even though I said I don't know much about comfrey, I think that's one thing in my brain is that it is like a known medicinal herb, as well as like also used for like just a salad greenness too. Am I correct about that? Yes, that's right. Actually, it's been used, uh, people have been eating it for quite some time. And um, yeah, I was back in the day, I was living with a with a, a person in the house uh, I lived in and she was like, yeah, of course, comfrey. It's like uh, she told me that's the queen of the of uh, medicinal plants, and I was like, oh, okay. Oh. So I was re- I, I got more and more interested in in the plant, and um, I uh, uh, I myself I went to Waldorf school, so I have a little bit of a connection to plants because we were taught we were taught quite a lot about plants, mostly though about trees and flowers, not um, medicinal plants. So, uh, but I have a connection to that and it's been something that I'm interested in for quite some time. So that's why I kind of started to dig into it. And, um, so, so, uh, so the rabbit was okay. The rabbit was fine after a while. Yeah, it was good. I didn't actually use the plant on the rabbit because I didn't really know, you know, there were different like, um, uh, ideas how to like use it on the animal, but like, um, it seemed to be quite complicated to actually do in practice. So I didn't I actually use it back in the day. Yeah. But I'm glad that it, it did, it did recover from the broken leg. It did. Yeah, oh, it good. did. Yeah. And it lived quite some time actually <laughs> after that. Oh, that's so, great. Um, yeah. But like the, like the, uh, so the, the German word is, um, is actually Beinwell or Soldatenkraut, which is quite interesting. Oh, so, interesting. so, so, 
wait, so buy, okay, my, my German's a little rusty. It's been a while since I've lived in a German-speaking country, but like bein means bone, right? Exactly, yeah. Um, well, bein is actually, bein is like a, yeah, leg, but it's actually um, oh, originally. Yeah, leg, yeah. Yeah, it, originally though, it means bone actually. And so um, in English, it's also another name for comfrey is knit bone or bone set. Oh, so, bone set. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it actually said it's it's like uh, what the healing possibilities are is already in the word. Interesting. Uh, and the other word you said, which was soldaten, what was it? Kraut? It's like soldier's herb. Yeah, exactly. So it was probably used by soldiers back in the day. And uh, I kind of, when I when I did a little bit of research about the plant, it's actually been known for 2000 years. So it's a long time. It's been used. Oh, wow. As a med- medicinal plant and as a plant like you already um suggested as a plant uh, that people were eating too for a long long time um i think it was first first actually talked about in uh, ancient rome even in the time of nero so yeah oh wow so it's a plant that is i imagine is native to the european continent is that yes it's actually it's native to the european continent but it's also in uh, america and um yeah, so it's 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 actually been been well known um, in different countries. Yeah, it's it's kind of a plant that's all over the place. Once you start looking and um, find it, <laughs> I'm gonna definitely have to look this up and um, and uh, start looking for it out here because I've heard that it's around. You know, like I said, my my basic knowledge of it, I've heard it and that it's around, but I've never seen it. So, have you have you like used it? Have you like eaten it? Have you used it for anything medicinal? What is your personal experience with it? Yeah, I haven't actually eaten it because it's a bit of a a bit of a topic also. Um like a couple of years ago, uh well, I think it's quite a while ago actually, I think around uh 10 years ago, there was some research done on the plant and they found some alkaloids in the plant that they suggested were actually dangerous for the human body. Mm. So um, although it's a, it's a healing plant, they suggested not to eat it anymore. And, uh, and they, they just said that it's still okay to like use in small doses when you're like applying it to a wound or to, yeah, like a, a specific place on your body. But um, yeah, so that's a little bit of a, a topic that um, I thought was quite interesting. So on one side, it's been used for like over 2000 years. And then on the other side, you have like this, this new science um, come up and they're, they're like, you have to be really careful with it, and especially if you're like pregnant or if you have liver problems. And yeah. Yeah, that, you know, that's a really interesting thing. And there's been a, somewhat of a theme on the show already about that. There's, there's this interesting gray area between like, what is edible or medicinal and what is not in in one episode um we talked about uh the famous which i didn't know about this guy even though i lived in switzerland and and to say to listeners timo is in switzerland as well yes i used to live in switzerland but in the episode previous we talked about the famous swiss physician paracelsus are you familiar with him oh yes of course yes absolutely And, and i just learned about him recently but he had the famous quote that essentially is the dose makes the poison right and it's not it's not something is not necessarily poison, but it's yes. how much of it you take and the way that it is administered. Yeah, and so it's an interesting gray area because I think it's very true. Things can be, you know, potentially bad for you, but can also be quite good for you depending on how they're treated. And um, 
a few episodes ago, I talked about a plant called pokeweed here in the United States, which has a long history of being eaten as a green. But if you don't mm-hmm. cook it correctly, it is quite toxic. So it's this. Oh, it's this yes. But so like everyone, if you ask anybody, they'll say, no, don't eat it. It is toxic. But yet people have been eating it for a very long time. Yeah, a very and, long time. Exactly. A, so it's, it's, it's this, I think this, um, this balance of, of really understanding the plant, which is, I think part of my journey with this podcast is trying to understand plants more. Cause yeah, you don't want to be the person who, who's not thinking about it and eat something and destroys your liver, but you also don't Absolutely. miss out on, uh, on, on, you know, something that really can be quite tasty or useful. So in- yeah, very interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you on that point. And I um, also, when I was um, looking into the plant a little bit, I also learned that it was used um, during the famine in Ireland, um, you know, in the 1840s. So it was like, you know, during the potato famine, it was a plant that was eaten a lot in that time. And uh, it was also used for feeding livestock. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Um, do you, do you ever see it around where you live? Is it a plant that you've like spotted just growing in the wild and in that area of Switzerland? Yeah, it's funny. I, um, in the house I used to live with, live in, I think you've actually been to the, to the old farmhouse back in the day. Yeah, I remember that place. Yeah. So it was really, there was a big, big, uh, plant, uh, comfrey plant growing in the backyard and, you know, they kind of like, um, they kind of like damp and grassy places or like along riversides or bogs uh, along walls. And we had one of those uh, growing right next to the, uh, next to the old wall. And um, you kind of, I mean, they really start growing and, and, and also um, becoming more visible, like from May to July. And uh, they're a bit, like, you know, they, I think what's quite uh, apparent about them is that they have these really large, broad, lance-shaped, um, hairy leaves. Mm-hmm. That is something that really sticks out. It's a bit, you can, you can actually confuse it with foxglove quite easily, which is a bit um, tricky because foxglove is pretty poisonous as, as mm-hmm. far as I know. Uh, but what makes it really clearly different from foxglove is the flowers. So um, that is something that is quite interesting to look out for. Um, but there, there again, uh, the flowers, I didn't know this too. I mean, the flowers that in the comfrey plant that was growing around, uh, just in our backyard always had white flowers, but I learned that they can also be pink, yellow, or blue, red, or purple. So oh, wow, <laughs> quite a variety, quite a variety. And also, uh, about, um, concerning the topic we were just talking about before, apparently if you want to use the, uh, the comfrey um for like uh food or for medicinal purposes uh you should use the one with white flowers so this is also something i learned i thought was pretty interesting very interesting um yeah that's fascinating um yeah is, do you have any other fun facts or dazzling details about comfrey i do one other uh, uh personal um experience actually i had it with it um, sometimes when i have back pain I use this ointment or this cream. It's called Kitta. I don't know if you know that. It's no, I don't know that one. We can K Y T T A. Exactly. Kita. Yeah, Kitta. So, um, yeah, I've been using this for a long time, and one day I just kind of looked what's inside, and of course, it says Valwort Spinevel. So there's comfrey in this cream. Oh wow! 
And it's it's one of the things that that is uh, said also that it can help like with muscle sprains and joint inflammation or yeah I mean I've been using it for backaches and it works I mean I didn't know it was in there and it I I think it's great so <laughs> that's really interesting huh, I wonder I wonder if um, I don't know if you looked up any uh, you know science if people have like determined what kind of compounds are responsible for its behavior um, I mean if you yeah something maybe. Yeah. Too, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I haven't, you know, this is kind of a bit out of like the things I know. So I know, um, there's a whole variety in there and, uh, but it's not something I know a lot about in detail. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, perhaps I'll, uh, I normally include some links on when I post this podcast. So I'll look up some stuff like that. Cause that's really interesting. And, you know, that's one thing I've also discovered is there's a lot of plants that have been known for a long time to have certain qualities. And I think this is a really yeah. interesting example that the name is like bone set or like, you know, Absolutely. making your bones better. Or, or, or the, or, um, but the, the, the mechanisms for how they work can still be mysterious. One, because the research is hard and expensive. And also it's often uh, very complicated. Um, I've, I've done a lot, you know, a lot of research on that. So it's, it's interesting to, to learn like what, what are those little, secrets that we're just starting to maybe fully understand even though we've known about them for as you said 2000 years yeah yeah at least totally yeah and i think also like what i find interesting every time i like learn some some details about a, a, med a medicinal plant is there's a big difference between the leaves and the and the root and mm -hmm. this also seems to be the case uh with comfrey so like the roots is also something that's been used uh, apparently as um, it's been roasted as like a coffee substitute. Oh. And so the most alkaloids, also these alkaloids that are actually um, this topic that have, has, has been looked at um, um, and people have been warning about it is that most of them are actually in the root, but it's much, much less in the leaves. Okay. So um, yeah. But I think also, yeah, so like in, in this case for comfrey, um, the poultice that people have been making out of it was usually containing the roots and the leaves. But I think there's a, it's good to separate, you know, those kind of different uh, parts of the plant. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Actually, going back to that plant pokeweed I was talking about, which is, you know, a nice edible plant. But the root is the most toxic part. And the root, you know, mm -hmm. from what I've read, is just not edible. It is the where it is mostly concentrated, these uh, you know, toxins. But the leaves, if they're prepared correctly, um, can be edible. So, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what also you brought up reminds me of, we talked about in episode two of the podcast about dandelion. And dandelion has also, in the past, the roasted dandelion root has been used as a coffee substitute as well. <laughs> That is true. Yeah, I've actually tasted that myself, and it's uh, I, I like it. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. I made it myself for the first time a couple of years ago. I need to do it more. It's a little bit of a process, so you know when you you just have the coffee beans, and it also doesn't have caffeine. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Oh, so you made it yourself. That's special. yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got a you know little yard here, and dandelions grow, um, uh, you know, quite readily. And they're they're the greens I love for dandelions, and also the root is interesting to use. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. Interesting. Um, another, another, uh, couple of things that I learned, um, about the plant that I thought was interesting. It is, um, apparently one of a selected few in the plant kingdom that are able to synthesize uh, vitamin B12. 
Uh, oh, wow. That that's is, really fascinating. I think that's pretty interesting. And um, so it seems to be like also some people were talking about it, that it's kind of a king of accumulator. So uh, it's also... <clears throat> It's also been uh, it, it it loves to be used as a fertilizer apparently. So in gardens, it's um, really enriches the soil with nitrogen, and uh, gardeners oh. seem to love that for that reason too. Those are two super fascinating facts because <laughs> B twelve. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, B twelve is the is the one vitamin that um, most people get from meat, and it's harder to get in a, as a vegetarian diet is B twelve and. and uh, you can get B12 from, from fermented foods. Yes. Um, but the fact that it, that the plant comfrey has B12 as a, as a plant is really interesting. And then the other one using it as, as a, as a fertilizer, something I might try. Cause that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently it, <clears throat> it's really great for that. So yeah. If you have a garden, you should totally give it a, give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'm going to look into that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like, I mean, I think this is the, one of the most uh, interesting topics around the plant is that it seems to be really a, a very important medicinal plant. And uh, so, yeah, the question is for me really, like, how do you, how do you use it in a, in a, in a good way um, so it doesn't harm the body but actually um, can show its healing effects? And, uh, yeah, so this is something I'd, I'd like to look into more and uh, understand more. So, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, it's an excellent journey to be on and something that, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast is to do that. So yeah, thanks for joining and, and explaining about Comfrey. Is there any, anything else you've got written down in your notes there? Um, yeah, one maybe interesting little uh, topic that came up <clears throat> that I thought was interesting. It was also used in witchcraft. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. So apparently um, it helped uh, vanquish a ghost um, but it was also often carried along uh, for safety and good health while traveling when you're away from home. Ah, okay. So, you know, I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. Just always look back and see how people have been using it or, or, or what they came up with, what the ideas were behind it. The greenfinch, so called from the color of its belly, is as large as a lark. It lays four or five eggs, builds its nest out of the plant called comfrey. Well, do you mind if I share a plant with you? I would love to hear um, what you would like to so, share. Yeah, I was trying to, I was, I was trying to choose a plant, and that's like the big challenge with this podcast is every episode I have to talk about a plant that somehow means something to me. Um, and there's a lot there, but you know, trying to choose a plant and choose a plant for who I'm going to talk to, and so. I've been wanting mm -hmm. to talk about this plant for a while, and unfortunately, it's a bit of a sad story, so I'm sorry to have a little okay. bit of a bummer of a story, um, but but it is really interesting, even though it is sad, and there is, fortunately, a bit of hope as well. Um, That's good. But why this, this plant means something to me, um, I live in northern Virginia, and a lot of the forests around here, and a lot of this part of the country, the whole kind of eastern, even from down south up to, up into Canada... A lot of the forests are what are called mixed hardwood forests. So mm -hmm. it's um, a bunch of different species, oak, maple, poplar, um, 
alder, things like that, kind mm-hmm. of mixed throughout. And, and, and the other thing is very few like pine trees or spruce. And when you get further north or in certain areas, you'll have these forests that are um, majority you know, spruce or, or, or pine mm-hmm. and not many hardwoods. But most of the forests here are this mixed hardwood. So they have a bunch of different species of, of trees. Um, but if you're hiking through almost any forest around here and from what I've read all around the country, you'll often notice very big trees that are just dead. Mm-hmm. And and those trees are most likely, and if you learn the identification factors, are most likely um, either white ash or green ash, depending on where you are, black ash. And ash um, is the plant I chose. It's ash. Um, and, and in German, it's die Esche is what I looked at. Yes, Esche, yeah. that's right, yeah. Esche. Um, a k- kind of tree, and this is particularly white ash. Is Frox- Froxinus is the Latin genus mm-hmm. name, mm-hmm. Um, which I think um, in some some European languages has roots of that, but in German apparently it's similar to ash. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the two that I'm mostly talking about are Froxinus americana and Froxinus pennsylvanica, which are two native ash trees. So they're similar to ash trees in Europe, but they are native European or native uh, um, American species. That name ash uh, apparently comes from an old English word that is like esk, I guess. It's Mm A-E-S-C, which is a word that also means spear. And I guess fraxinus also means spear in Latin. And and that's because the ash tree is very strong, but also flexible and makes a good spear. And so the words became interchangeable. Um, uh, I'll get to the the sad part in a little bit about why you see them uh, dead in the forest, mm-hmm. but just a little bit more facts about it. They grow mostly over the whole eastern North American continent, from down in like the you know the swamps uh, up into a lot of Canada, but mostly on the eastern side, not really over the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Um, they grow up to thirty meters tall, so pretty big trees. Um, they have compound leaves, so when you look at a tree you'll see a stem coming off of a big branch and then there'll be leaves coming off in parallel from that stem and then kind of one leaf on the end and each each set of those multiple leaves coming off is actually one leaf so the way that that Mm -hmm. entire branch is attached to the stem is more like how a leaf is attached to a stem so it's compound it's a leaf that's made of many leaves nice which is the one way you can if you see the leaves you can tell it um apart um the other thing it has is uh it has opposite branch structure so most trees have alternate branch structure so you'll have a side branch coming off a branch here and the next one coming here i'm showing timo on the camera if you can't see this they're <laughs> alternating up the up the branch whereas uh ash they come out parallel from each other they'll come out uh, from the center stalk the branches will come out exactly opposite each other so that's oh. one way that you can um interesting you can tell fact. yeah uh, the difference. Um, there's some stuff about the bark, which I'm not very good at of examining the bark of, of how you can tell the difference, but that's, that's ash. Mm-hmm. It's a very useful wood. It's been used. One of the main woods used in baseball bats for a long time or like oh, tool yeah. handles. It's very good for tool handles. Um, uh, the, uh, bowling alleys were made though. The wood on bowling alleys are made out of ash. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it really makes a great veneer so you can peel it to very thin layers. It's a very useful wood. And also, and this is the reason I wanted to talk about you because you are a musician mm-hmm. and ash is a very well-known wood for guitars, particularly electric guitars and That's particularly true. Fender guitars. Exactly. I think I have my Telecaster. My my Telecaster definitely made of ash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was looking that up, and I guess yeah, I didn't realize that until recently how 
like that's what made the the Telecaster and the Stratocaster a thing was ah. was Leo Fender using ash and particularly a kind of ash they call swamp ash. Oh right. Um, and it is called swamp ash because this grows more in the south, where where in the swamps, where part of the year the the base of the tree is flooded, and then later the flooding goes away, and something about that being submerged in water for a part of the year for over many years makes the wood have this particular property that's good for guitars. Super interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, Jimmy Page played a, a, a ash guitar. Keith Richard played an ash guitar. Yeah. Um, Springsteen plays an ash guitar. So it's a very, like, it's like a, a big thing. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, and we're going to kind of maybe get into the sad part now. In I think it was 2020, Fender discontinued using ash Okay. Uh, in, in their guitars. And that's because we have a problem in the United States now, and it is a insect called the emerald ash borer. Oh. Mm-hmm. And it is a little small green beetle, emerald, shiny. It's kind of a beautiful bug. It's shiny mm-hmm. green. Mm-hmm. And it will burrow into the uh, bark of an ash and lay its eggs between the, the dead wood and the bark. Mm-hmm. And then the little larva eat that live, I forget the name of this material, but it's the stuff between the bark and the dead wood. It's, mm. it's like mostly where the living tissue in a tall tree is, is that part. And it eats that. And basically the, an ash borer can, really just completely colonize an ash tree. And those, those little larvae end up um, cutting off the sap supply to the rest of the tree because they eat all of that. That, that material is how yes. the sap yes. travels. Mm-hmm. And so eventually um, the tree just dies. And, and the thing is, is this, this beetle is, is uh, not native to the United States. It was only first observed near uh, Detroit in 2002. So, you know, relatively recently but in just this little amount of time it has killed tens of millions of ash trees in in this continent and really sad some estimates i've read is that they predict that basically in like 20 years there will be no ash trees anymore yeah which is kind of mind-blowing to think about this this beetle they they suspect was probably accidentally brought to the United States in wooden pallets and shipping. So <sighs> too bad. Um, and so, you know, it was coming probably from somewhere in East Asia and somebody somewhere made pallets for some, who knows what product was being imported, but just inside the wood, the ash wood they use for the, the pallet, this beetle was able to sneak in and now it's uh, everywhere. Um, w- one thing I found very interesting is like, well, why does this beetle destroying ash trees mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, the North American content, but not where it's from and also not in Europe. Um, okay. Cause I just was because, wondering if it's, uh, it's not, did you say it was the bark beetle? No, no. So bark beetles a different one. Yeah. Bark okay. Beetle, yeah. 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 And that's a big problem in Europe and exactly, also we have some yeah. here too. But I was just wondering, called, yeah, it's a, it's a, we've been having pro- a lot of problems with the bark beetle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's a similar kind of pest, but the ash borer, uh, the bark beetle, I think is mostly on spruce and pine. Mm-hmm. Um, but the emerald ash borer only attacks ash trees. Uh, um, but in its native range, it's not a problem. Mm-hmm. It, it's a, it just lives there. And, and from what I've read, there might be some places in Europe where it's, where it could be a little bit of a problem for the most part. It's not on the ash trees in Europe. Yeah. And, that is apparently because 
ash trees, particularly white ash and green ash in uh, over here, they are very lacking in tannins. So uh, tannins are these bitter compounds. Um, when you drink wine, the tannins in wine are coming from the oak barrels that wine ages in. All right, and they're these bitter yeah. compounds. Um, and that those compounds are not as tasty to the ash borer, and I guess it slows it down, its activity in its native range. And the ash trees in the native range of the borer are high in tannins, and the ones in Europe are high in tannins, but apparently like the white ash, for example, and the green ash too, I think, have virtually no no tannins. Mm, mm, and so mm. that's why the beetle can attack it so strongly. Um, mm. one, one little thing I found pretty interesting was um, that one of the kind of like side effects of, of this tree going away is that um, in the areas where there's a lot of ash tree tadpoles, so small frogs, what's the word for that in, in German? You know, like the little frogs that are just like a little swimming tail. Yeah, well, thing. That's a really weird word. I don't know if you want to hear it. It's qualquappen. Qualquappen. Oh. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Yes. It's a tadpole kind of weird is almost word. a weird word. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird. weird word. <laughs> but uh, they, eat when the ash leaves fall into the uh, water in a swamp, the tadpoles eat the ash leaves because they are low in the tannins. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so other, other trees, like for example, maples have more and oaks have more tannins. And so they're not as nutritious to mm -hmm. tadpoles. So as the ash dies and other trees take over, it's also damaging the tadpoles environment. So kind of these interesting ripple effects. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one, one of the reasons why this, I think, has been so prolific as well, including that the fact that the ash tree here doesn't have uh, these tannins, is that also in a lot of urban areas all over this part of the, the world, ash trees were planted in essentially a monoculture in neighborhoods because they look beautiful. So you'd have, you know, whole streets with ashes. They are. They are beautiful trees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so in these urban areas, they planned them and they planted tons of them. So you'll look down, there's some really great pictures of these, you know, look down this long little suburban neighborhood and it's all ash trees. Well, that's a bit of a problem because the borer can spread from tree to tree to tree to tree. Oh yeah, it's and, easy and to, makes the to issue, yeah. issue um, more damaging. One thing I read, which was an interesting um, analysis of human activity is that there's another uh, a plant disease called Dutch elm disease that caused a lot of problem with elm trees in the United States mm -hmm. back a long, you know, in the 50s, I think. And it was the same thing where there was these neighborhoods where they planted all these elm trees and then Dutch elm came through and killed them all. And all then right. later they just replaced the elm with ash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ash is being all destroyed. Um, which, you know, when I, what I talked about earlier is if you are in a forest around here, they're a mixed hardwood forest. These hardwoods don't mm -hmm. tend to live in these monocultures, right? They are. It's not a natural thing for them, yeah. Right, right. They're meant to be spread around. So that's part of the problem um, before. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I, t uh, I talked a little bit about um, there is some hope, so I'm going to get to that. Um, <laughs> the, 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 there's kind of, uh, well, there's three three pieces of hope. Is One is there are some treatments for this now. So... You can, if you find a tree that has it, there are now quarantine protocols in place to try to keep it from affecting other trees. Mm -hmm. It can Trees, if they're caught at the right time and done correctly, they can also be treated with an insecticide, which is one of those things that's like, you got to balance the good with the bad. But if you time it right, you can apparently stop the, the beetle and, and, and still save the tree. Um, and then they're also exploring, which this is also maybe controversial, and hopefully it's not one of those other opening a Pandora's box, but they're exploring 
um, native predators from the original ash borer's home. So there's several wasps that, oh, that right. prey on the ash borer. They're, they're experimenting with importing those to take, to, to try to like limit the ash borer, which is like, well, you're importing another non-native species. Are we going to have like a ripple effect? But from what I've read, they have seemed to see that these wasps are not causing any other issues, at mm-hmm. least in the mm-hmm. few areas where they're trying this. But I think what is the better hope is that there is a um, there is a something that scientists now are calling the lingering ash, mm-hmm. and there are these cases where all the ash trees in an area have been destroyed, except for there's a couple that have survived. That's that's interesting. And uh, there was a really interesting situation where this professor in the '70s, a guy named Professor Steiner at Penn State, he planted a plantation of ash trees in the '70s before ash borer, and he was. He was doing science about what happens if you take seeds of the same kind of tree and move them to areas outside of their native range. And he was doing a test to see like, well, the trees from the, if I plant seeds from this area over here and this over here and this area over here, I plant them on the same place, which ones are going to do better? Yes. So he planted 2,100 ash trees in this plantation in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And it inadvertently became an experiment about ash borer. Because he wasn't, they didn't exist at the time. But now there's right. 2,100 ash uh, trees all in this one area, and when ash borer came in, it killed 95 percent of them. Oh wow! But there are 15 trees with no damage that didn't die. And so now what they're trying to look into is what are the genetics of those trees mm-hmm. that's making them successful, and can they propagate those trees and use those trees as the way to save the ash species? Yes. So. I thought that was really interesting. You know, it's, it is a really depressing story to be like, oh my gosh, these trees are going to be gone and it's something in our lifetime. Yes, yeah. But there is this interesting hope. And the one thing that, that it makes me think about, and I've, I've, I, I say this to friends all the time, and there's probably some like philosopher who's talked about this more eloquently than me, but there's this concept of like, for most of human history, you could make a decision as a human and if it was a bad decision, worst case scenario, you like destroyed a village. Right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you probably just end up destroying yourself. You know, you're experimenting <laughs> with something in caveman days, and you like. But it was fall in a small or, sobriety. It was like, yeah, it wasn't like right. But now this, you know, an ash borer is a perfect example of this. Just the fact that some people somewhere decided to import some random product to the U.S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and didn't realize there was this little bug in that wood and now we are faced with potential extinction of a species and it's this it's incredible it's this problem of how do we make decisions today yes yeah when we can inadvertently cause such an uh, uh, you know uh, this disaster you know such a simple decision can have a worldwide impact and and it's it's something i think about a lot and how we move forward and Anyway, it's it. That's that's where I am with ash. I'm hoping that these these lingering ash trees can can save it because it will be really uh, a bummer to not have any yeah. ash tree. No, well, that, yeah. that is a thanks for sharing that. Um, I think that's super interesting and brings up the whole subject of like you know like um, I think a lot of uh, people come kind of back to the uh, um, equation that maybe the the natural balance, the way things were was the best way maybe that things were able to thrive. And then if it's out of balance, things get really um, complicated because you're always trying to like, 
you stop a wildfire and then there's another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it was in, it's interesting to listen to because I've noticed um, when I when I go for walks in the forest here, um, um, I've seen that so many um, spruce trees are having a lot of trouble and have been dying. Mm. And I don't know exactly the reasons now for this, um, but I, I, I Googled it when I got home a couple of weeks ago. And uh, this, so there's a problem here with the spruce trees. And, uh, oh, very interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting to look into that. I know, uh, I know the, the ash trees and I don't, yeah, like, like you said, I don't see that there's, um, the same thing happening here. Like you said at the beginning, it's a different story here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. Yeah, that's, that's my story. And sorry to share such a, maybe a bummer of a story, but, uh, it's good, I, you know, good, I wanted to, good share. to know about these things. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, yeah. it's sad, but it's good to be aware of these things and yeah. Cool. Well, well, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, Steve, for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. If you go walking in the woods in the eastern part of this continent, you're likely to come across an ash tree that has been recently destroyed by emerald ash borers. Seeing these trees, dead but still standing, is like seeing a ghost. This song is called Ghosts, and it is by Timothy Yarmir, our guest on this episode of Rootbound. from Timothy Yarmir's album entitled Hireth. Hireth is a Welsh word that is very poignant and I think is also evocative of the ash tree. The definition of Hireth is apparently difficult to translate into English, but it means something like a homesickness tinged with grief and sadness over the lost or departed. It is a mixture of longing, yearning, nostalgia, and wistfulness. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Timothy Yarmir, a singer-songwriter based in Switzerland. You can listen to more of Timothy Yarmir's music at timothyyarmir.com. That is Timothy, the way it's normally spelled, and then Yarmir, which is J-A-R-O-M-I-R.com. He is also one half of the excellent musical duo Gold Shots, which you can listen to Gold Shots at goldshotsmusic.com. That's Gold Shots, which is S-C-H-A-T-Z, music.com. Rootbound is hosted by Steve Ellington. That is me. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, visit an ash tree while you still can. Kind of a big dill.